Welcome to Amici, News and Insights from a New York Court. I'm John Carr. 76 years ago, the same year that Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier of Major League Baseball, the Mendez family and other Mexican-American families in Southern California took on segregated schools and set the stage for the U.S. Supreme Court seven years later to end the practice nationwide with its landmark decision in Brown v. Board of Education. To commemorate that decision from the Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals, the Latino Judges Association is sponsoring a reenactment of the case with the help of students, faculty, and administrators at Columbia Law School and St. John's Law School. The event, which is open to the public and comes with CLE credit for attorneys, will be held March 23rd at the Southern District of New York in Manhattan and virtually. For this Amici podcast, I'm pleased to be joined by two students, and an assistant dean who will walk us through Mendez v. Westminster. Give us a sneak preview of what to expect on March 23rd, and perhaps talk about what the case means to them as Latinx students and lawyers. So I'd like to welcome assistant dean Andrea Saavedra of Columbia Law School, Giselle Valdez, a student at Columbia, and Tatiana Zapata from St. John's. So, Dean, let's let's start with you. What is Mendez v. Westminster, and why is it important? Thank you so much for the question, John, and thank you for hosting us as part of this conversation. Uh, Mendez v. Westminster is a fundamental case regarding uh, the right to access for education for children in California um, that importantly raised the question for uh, Latinos in the uh, area about whether or not they had the right to go to the same schools in their districts as um, Californians who were classified as white. And so it's a it's an example of um, a civil rights decision in the education space uh, where Latinos made an impact in connection with getting access for uh, Latino uh, children uh, to their public school system in California. Now, when this decision was was handed down, I think Earl Warren was the, the governor of California, correct? That's correct. And then uh, uh, some years later, he went on to author the opinion in Brown v. Board, right? That's correct. Is there, is there a, does that, do any of, it, any of you see a connection here? There's obviously a connection in terms of having the right leaders in the room at the right time when decisions are made. Um, and the fact that um, there is a lot of discussion um, through the documentary on Mendez regarding how um, Justice Warren uh, had familiarity with the Mexican-American community in uh, California, and so he understood um, the impact of segregation on people that he saw as his neighbors and colleagues, and I think that ethos of equality, especially in the public education system, was definitively taken with him to the Supreme Court, and you see that thread in the decision making. No, just to jump off of that, in addition to Warren writing the opinion, you also have Thurgood Marshall who argued Brown v. Board and he writes a brief in support that's in our, our docket materials for the, on, on behalf of the NAACP that raises a lot of the arguments he then raised at the Supreme Court and Brown v. Board. So like Dean Severa said, it's the people in the room, right? That kind of changed these the progress of the history for not only the Mexican American community, but also to the black community as well when thinking about Brown v. Board and all children and access to education. So Thurgood Marshall wrote what, probably an Amici brief in Mendes? Yeah, he wrote an Amici brief, um, which we're actually drawing upon for, for the reenactment. Um, oh. And he raised a lot of those arguments that he then brought forward in, in Brown v. Board um, when he was writing that Amici brief for, um, on behalf of the NAACP. 
Uh, Tatiana, was that kind of a, a dress rehearsal for Brown v. Board, do you think? Probably. Um, I think that all of these issues were probably being seen by, you know, both communities. Um, and having, I guess, that stepping stone of Mendez v. Westminster in California um, really was something that, well, like Giselle and the Dean said, you know, was something that was relied upon in Brown v. Board. Um, and seeing the success that Mendez v. Westminster had, I don't think that that really had, um, it, it wasn't too different in Brown v. Board because it was a unanimous decision. How did this reenactment come about? So um, the Latino Justice Association reached out uh, to to me and um, some other uh, profess professorial uh, and academic colleagues in the fall of 2022, expressing an interest in involving the law schools in connection with their reenactment. Um, and uh, the LGA has previously done, as you know, John, uh, other uh, events around this, um, this particular decision. But I think the goal was to bring as many law students into the fold as possible so that they could also learn about the history of, um, of the case and how um, it may influence or impact their understanding of their role in the profession. Tatiana, Tatiana, I'm sorry. Um, why is a reenactment an effective way to tell this story? There's lots of ways you could have done it as a standard CLE, as a lecture, as something else. Why, why a reenactment? Well, I think a reenactment, well, one, as law students, we're kind of stuck always having to read the cases just from a book. Um, and so I think for, as a law student, I, a reenactment is a different way to kind of get that information out to us law students um, and just as well, you know, there's going to be mostly Latino students that are taking part in the reenactment. And so kind of that's just like a big connection, I think, that uh, at least for us as Latinos to have um, a different way to see the arguments, to hear the arguments, to see how the decision was made. Um, and it also you know, brings in the community. So there's going to be family members there. There's going to be middle school and high schoolers that are going to be watching the reenactment. And for for them, I think it's really an important way to kind of learn this part of history that at least, you know, some of us who went to certain public schools didn't learn about this case. Um, and, you know, as we spoke about, it was very important also in leading up to Brown v. Board, which was something that a lot of people do know about. Um, but kind of getting a little bit more background is also really important um, in just in learning about history and, and these judicial decisions. So it seems like it kind of makes it leap off the pages of the case law you read a little bit. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, just so, uh, Tatiana, um, I know you have an academic interest in Mendez, um, but you both also revealed offline that you have a, a personal interest in it as well, that it... Um, resonates with you on a personal level. Giselle, can you tell me your story? Definitely. I think so. This case takes place in, in Orange County in Southern California. And I grew up along the border in, in San Diego. And I think growing up, one thing that, you know, many Latino children or Mexican-American children face in Southern California is, you know, the, the question of, you know, discrimination in public schools. And it's something that I think exists to this day. I know Growing up, and I've been talking to my mom about this because I've told her about me working on this case and writing the script. And when I wanted to attend elementary school, I had to be sent to various public schools and I had to do various language tests. 
to prove that I was capable of being in the classroom. And I think even growing up and, and hearing these cases where they would put students in ESL classes with maybe not the same resources, the same instruction, the same support systems, it's something that's still really present today. And there's change being made, but um, in public schools, especially in Southern California and in border communities, it's a question that's still raised. And so when reading this case and hearing just how inspiring it was that they advocated for this for this change and for me to be able to attend the institutions I have attended thereafter, um, they really were the trailblazers. But I think it also shows that there's still change that needs to be done. Tatiana, what, what is your story? Yeah, so I was born in Colombia, um, but I have a younger brother who was born here in the United States. And we had to go through something very similar with him where he, he was already in elementary school, but we had to move. Um, and so he was placed in a different elementary school. And in this new school, they saw his last name, which is Sanchez, a very typical Hispanic name. And they put him in an ESOL class. Um, and my brother grew up in a bilingual household. Like my mom spoke Spanish, but my stepdad and I, we spoke English. And so my and my brother had already been in school, so he spoke English. But just based off of his Spanish, Hispanic class name, they put him in a class that was mostly with you know Spanish instruction and Spanish speaking students. And it was a, a struggle that my mom had to go through to make sure that he was put in a class that you know, where he could succeed and where he could continue the education at a level that he was um, already at. And so that was, you know, I guess a little bit of bias that I think is still prevalent in our education system and just based off of, you know, simple things that we that we see on paper. Um, but, you know, there has been, I guess, some progress um, in terms of, I know at the time of Mendez v. Westminster, the students were, you know, in like fire hazard buildings and those weren't things that we had to deal with um, my family personally, but it still are things that we need to know about. Dean, what about you? Any personal affinity for Mendez? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think as a Latina who's been in the law for uh, um, you know almost 20 years, I think every you know one of the positions that I the privileges I have is seeing our students as they come in at the beginning of their careers and seeing how the gap in terms of knowing their history. I think it, you would think it would close, but I don't find that the gap in, in the knowledge of the students coming in who identify as Latino or Latinx, you know, I don't feel like that gap has yet closed. Um, you know, to the extent that we expect students to come knowing a little bit about their history, many people know Brown, right? And so I would think for a lot of the, the Latinx students, they could take some pride in knowing that, you know, they too had a part in this story of expanding civil rights in the United States um, is important. And I do believe that, uh, the, the obligation on uh, you know lawyers um, as civic leaders as well as uh, educators is to ensure that not just future lawyers like Tatiana Giselle but that everybody in the community is aware of these stories and so for myself you know I, I have the privilege of um, I'm first generation born here but um, both my parents came here as children my mother was, you know, held back a year when she came from Cuba because she wasn't, you know, able to perform at the language level they expected. But, you know, she was definitely someone who's very driven and pursued her career, you know, despite any obstacle, very education focused, as many of us uh, from uh, from uh, first generation families will be. And, you know, pursued her PhD and did all this work, my mother. So I always have a privilege of having a highly, you know, someone who 
a mom who really went out there and kind of demonstrated this knowledge. And I just thought to myself, as I've gotten older, it just strikes me like, why aren't the students coming in knowing this information? You know, they should come in at some point, get exposed to their history as Latinos in the United States, right? And so, you know, anything that we can do as affinity groups, as associations, as educators to promote that is is critically important because it also helps buy-in. They also feel as they are Americans too, that they are part of this community, they're part of the history of, of this great nation. Now, Giselle, Tatiana, it strikes me that the, the family experiences that, that you are aware of occurred long, long after the Mendez decision and long, long after the Brown decision. So obviously, neither of those decisions uh, you know, raised a magic wand and, and put an end to this. We still have work to do, and I think going off of that, it there's work to be done, right? But then I also recognize the power of the first people that opened that door, right? Like the Mendez family, for especially other Mexican and Americans like myself um, in Southern California that opened the door for us to have, you know, go to attend the same schools or, you know, attend higher education institutions. And so it's there's still a lot of work to be done, but thanks to them and thanks to also in Brown v. Board, the doors were opened, which I think is really important. What 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 is the goal of this program on, on March 23rd? I think it's really just education um, and in a, in a way that ties the legal community with the overall community um, in terms of educating us students, like the Dean said, about something that we may not have known about. Um, but also educating people in the community about this history that is not very um, prevalent in American schools, uh, at least in a lot of public schools. Um, and so, you know, I know we he, we hear even like stories now, like in Florida, where African-American studies are, are being shut down. Um, and so I think that this is a way for the legal community to still be able to put these this type of information out um, and not have kind of like more government-sponsored um, discrimination and bias. But it sounds like you're reaching, you know, as the dean said, it, it sounds like you're reaching an educational purpose beyond law students. Yeah, definitely. And I'll just add one more piece. You know, I think it's so important. I want to commend the the judges for stepping forward, um, and Giselle and Tatiana. Uh, also for taking lead on top of all their obligations, because hopefully by seeing the judges participate in this CLE and seeing our students participate, that those audience members that are not necessarily in the profession, but are looking at the profession or have questions about the profession, will see themselves. And that's also, I think, part of the point of having the reenactment is that we have so many different members and generations of the Latinx legal community participating that people can say, oh, there's an infrastructure here. There's actually a deep bench of leadership here. And, and all we have to do as, as students and as members of the community is reach out and, and learn about it. And I just wanted to add one more thing on those notes. Both are very powerful and I think really represent what we're doing here. And I think one thing that Eugene brought up earlier was the idea of just bringing storytelling off of the casebook or off of the page. And I think through telling it through this reenactment where we'll have mostly Latino students participating, Latino judges overseeing and also participating, you're bringing the story to life in a sense. And I think our script where we're showing a bit more of the legacy and the history of the case goes to show that. And I think it's one thing to read about it, you know, online or to do research into it. And it's another thing to show the story 
um, and to the high school students and the middle school students who attend to show them that, you know, this is a real powerful story and it's something that is brought to light through the reenactment in a very unique way. I think sometimes in law we think it's just, you know, the precedent, which is also really important, but I think it's also important to tell those stories and through this medium we're using, I'm, I'm excited that the audience will be able to see that. Well, sounds like a great program, and, and thank you for doing it. So the, the, the program will be held from 6 to 8 p.m. on March 23rd at the Southern District of New York, 500 Pearl Street in New York City. To register for CLE credit or to attend virtually, you'll find a link on the transcript and in the podcast posting on SoundCloud. Thank you very much for, for your time, and thank you for what you're doing.